The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. This is Cruise Radio. Now more than ever, you should consider trip insurance for any kind of trip you take, not just cruises. Get a free quote at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida, this is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. A review of MSC Seascape this week, the brand new ship out of, uh, well, Port Miami right now. It was in New York for a second. Kristen and Scott just returned from it, and Kristen will be here in just a little bit to give us the full scoop on it. Cruise Radio News, the three things you need to know every weekday morning. That can be found at Cruise Radio YouTube channel or the Cruise News Today feed, just opposite of this one. All right, staff writer Richard Sims is here with Cruise News. Hey, my friend. Hey, Doug. Royal Caribbean Group is moving the financial needle in the right direction. You want to know just how bad the shutdown was for the cruise industry? This week, Royal Caribbean reported a $2 billion net loss, and that was considered good news. That's how bad the industry shutdown was. But this is good because they had nearly $9 billion in net revenue, which is, well, in simple mathematics terms, it's about $9 billion more than they made when, during the shutdown. So there was actually a lot of good news here. Capacity-wise, they're sailing at around 95%, with the Caribbean sailings doing 100%, and holiday sailings actually 110%. And people are always like, how can you do 110%? How can you do more than 100%? And that's because it's based on double capacity. So if you have 100% capacity, that means every room on the ship has two people in it. But of course, a lot of people travel with extended family, so they might have like four people in a room or three people in in a room. If you have a full ship and there are more people in some of those rooms, then you're going to go over 100, 100%. So that's how you get to 110%. Uh, Royal also said that they're having the best wave season in their history. Wave season is that period we're in right now. It's between January and March when the cruise lines tend to sell the biggest share of their inventory. That's why you see a lot of sales this time of year, a lot of mention of waves. Uh, And here's a number that really surprised me. So Icon of the Seas, which is set to sail out of Miami in early 2024, it features a three-story suite that goes for around $75,000 a week. And it's already sold out for 50% of its first season. So think about it. That means a whole lot of people out there are plunking down $75,000 for a week on the ship in that, you know, that gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous three-story suite. And I just, if any of those people happen to be listening, um, you know, look me up, (laughs) find me, because I would very much like to experience that. 
Also, prime real estate where that suite is located. Totally. It's on the back of the ship. It spans three decks. It's got its own private entrance into the newest neighborhood on the ship, Surfside, which is, you know, designed for entirely for families. It's got a lot of family-friendly stuff, but there's also a bar. And, you know, they they it's it's designed to be an area where the entire family. And what I really love is so on the bottom level of this three-story um suite. There's sort of like a patio, like you've got a white picket fence and there's a mailbox and a little, you know, you can go through the gate to get to Surfside. It really seems pretty darn cool. $75,000 a week cool. I guess we'll find out when people start staying in it. It's like the, I hope it's not like the Disney uh, Star Wars hotel, right? Where it's uh, (laughs) really cool at first, but that's because people were getting the room for free and you're paying for it. Not so cool, but this seems a little bit different. I think this is very different. Um, I mean, if you've got the money, especially if you're taking an extended family once in a lifetime uh, trip, you know, this is if you got the money to burn, do it. I'd be interested to know if like, let's say there's a sailing where they haven't sold it out and that and that that three that gorgeous stateroom is empty like okay can i go spend the night you know here here, here's a thousand dollars can i go spend the night (laughs) Uh, i almost guarantee it will not be sailing empty someone will be in there at some (laughs) point um unique voyages have opened for carnival and quite a few of them yeah this is kind of interesting so um we're going to give you a little advance warning here so you can put down your deposit and save up some money because these trips we're about to talk about don't actually take place until 2024 and you you know pretty late in 2024 so you've got a little time two are aboard the carnival panorama and two are aboard the splendor Uh, the shortest of them is 15 days so you're also going to need to you know put in some time for work or arrange to work from the ship that kind of thing so on panorama there's two sailings the first is an 18-day trans-pacific cruise that leaves long beach and heads to tokyo so that's 18 days Then there's a 25-day Trans-Pacific coming back that leaves Singapore and goes to Long Beach. And that one is October 12th of 2024. Then there's two on the Splendor. The first is a 15-day trip from Sydney, Australia to Singapore. That one leaves on July 21st of 2024. And then coming back, it's a 16-day trip from Singapore to Sydney that one departs on August 24th of 2024. This Carnival Panorama will be the first ship in the Carnival fleet to visit Manila in the Philippines. And Carnival Splendor will be the first Carnival ship to visit Tanjong Priok, if I'm pronouncing that right, which I'm probably not, in Indonesia. Uh, there's also this one that was just announced, like right before we started recording, they just announced they're billing this as the ultimate bucket list cruise. And, you know, it's not quite as attention grabbing as some of those 180 day voyages, but it's pretty impressive. 31 days on the Carnival Luminosa, which you'll recall is one of the ships being brought from the Costa Cruises fleet into the Carnival fleet. So it's been rebranded as Carnival Carnival Luminosa. Um, This trip is going to leave Brisbane, Australia on April 1st of next year, and it'll include stops in places like Guam and Yokohama. Then it'll hit Alaska, 
before reaching its final destination, Seattle, on May 1st. So it's a full month of sailing. It will also make a stop in Okinawa, which will be the first time a carnival ship has ever visited there. So not only are these nice long trips, not only are these, you know, to some really exotic places, but most of them are actually going somewhere that Carnival has never been before. So that's kind of a little piece of Carnival history there. Uh, if you're looking to jump on one of these, though, I would, you know, with something this unique, you sort of really want to book as soon as possible. Yes, they're over a year away, but because they're unique sailings and because there's only one of each, they will sell out. So you do want to, you know, kind of get on that and book it as soon as possible. While you were telling the story here, I was looking at the pricing for it. it looks like for a balcony, it's around out the door price ten thousand, and then it's about eighty six hundred for an ocean view for two people. Yeah, so not bad considering. Just wouldn't want an inside cabin for that long. No, especially with that many sea days, because each of these trips is going to have, uh, you know, especially the thirty one day trip. That's going to have like you know ten twelve sea days, and that's a lot to be spending in an inside room. I would definitely want a balcony, but you know, when you look at that. $10,000 for a month on the ship? That's that's not bad for two people. That's that's not bad at all. That's also a lot of warm chocolate melting cake. <laughs> yeah, you're going to put some weight on with that one. And nearly half of Princess Cruise's entire fleet will be in Alaska next summer. Yeah, it's going to be a big year for Princess in Alaska. It's actually their 55th anniversary of sailing to Alaska. Uh, it's There's a lot of of interest in Alaska these days. Um, it's for one thing we had, you know, the year and a half where there were no sailings to Alaska, but it's also just become, you know, I think a lot of people are looking at it and saying, you know, the glaciers are melting. If I'm going to go to Alaska, I better do it now because it's not just princess. All of the lines are really stacking heavy in Alaska. So with princess, they're going to have seven ships heading that way. The ships are going to be Royal, Sapphire, Grand, Discovery, Majestic, Ruby, and Crown Princess. And they'll be sailing from different ports. They'll be sailing from San Francisco and Seattle and Vancouver and Whittier. There's a pretty wide variety of itineraries available, and you can combine them with extended onshore stays and visits to Princess's Wilderness Lodge. And then there's my personal favorite about all of these trips. Um, the ones that go to Skagway do puppies in the piazza. Now, if you've ever looked at shore excursions where Alaska is concerned, almost all of them at some point offer like, you know, go and meet the dog sleds, um, which is very, very cool. But maybe you don't want to get off the ship. <laughs> maybe you're like me and you're like, well, can I do something cool on the ship while we're in Skagway? They will bring the puppies to you and you can frolic with them in the piazza, which is, you know, sort of their version of a big, beautiful atrium. So, that, to me, sounds like the perfect, perfect way. And I might have to look at Alaska this year. I was supposed to go two years ago, but, you know, COVID knocked that trip off my agenda, and I haven't had a chance to rebook since. And some more details were released on the upcoming Sun Princess, including a pretty large dining room. Sun Princess, these, the, the renderings and pictures they're showing of Sun Princess are pretty incredible. The dining room that you mentioned, the Horizon dining room, is going to stretch over three decks. And apparently, each level will have sort of its own personality, if you will. So, for example, maybe it's formal night. And on the first deck of the dining room, you know, they'll they'll have everybody dressed up. And it'll be formal night. But if you still want to go to the main dining room, but you don't want to get dressed up, maybe on the second deck or the third deck, 
they have, you know, more casual seating. So they'll be able to do themes on the different levels and stuff. It sounds crazy. I don't know how they're going to manage this. I feel bad for the restaurant manager who's going to have to keep track of all this. Uh, There's also the casino, which is going to be the largest in the fleet. The theater on the ship is the Princess Arena, and it's going to be in the round. That means basically the um, seats circle the entire stage. They're all the way around. Now, what what I want to know is, is the stage going to rotate? Or like if you sit at the back and it's an orchestra night, do you spend the whole night looking at the back of mm-hmm. the orchestra's heads? Or does it rotate? I don't know. We'll find that out eventually. Even the pizzeria got a redesign. You know, Princess is really known for their princess uh, or for their pizza place. And the pizzeria looks nicer than almost any restaurant I've ever eaten in. And that's just the pizza place. This sort of as a continuation of what we've been seeing with a lot of the cruise lines over the last couple of years, taking what they do well and elevating it a little bit. We saw it with Carnival when they rolled out Mardi Gras, Norwegian's Prima last year, and now the Sun Princess. The ship is going to debut in Europe next February, and then later in the year, it'll move to Fort Lauderdale where it'll do Caribbean sailings. You know what's crazy to me too is that uh, Carnival's numbers came out a couple of weeks ago for their year-end and aside from ticket sales and everything, 45% of their revenue in 2022 came from onboard spending, like casinos. So I guess you can see why they're expanding these casinos a little bit larger. Definitely. And we've seen over the last couple of years a very big push toward onboard spend, whether it's additional space devoted to more um, specialty restaurants, whether it's more shopping on board, whether it's, you know, trying to it, whatever they can do to increase the onboard spend. They have been. And year after year, we're seeing that when they do their end of year financial calls, they are talking about like the big bumps they see every single year in onboard spend. And let's face it, if you've been on a especially particularly carnival, you go in a carnival ship and you go in the casino and they are packed all the time, you know, so there's a lot of money rolling through there. And Crystal Cruises, they died last year and they have risen from the dead, I guess. Yeah, risen from the ashes. This is um, a fresh start for the company, which listeners will probably recall that under the previous owners went bankrupt. And there were a lot of headlines after one of the ships became sort of a fugitive in order to avoid being seized. And, oh, it didn't just go on the run. It went on the run with passengers on board. So, mm-hmm. you know kind of a rough period there. Now, though, they're under new management, new ownership. Um, The ships are still using the same name, Crystal Symphony and Crystal Serenity, uh, but they're newly refurbished, and they've got this great new tagline, Crystal, exceptional at sea. Their new website is gorgeous. Um, It's really, you know, beautiful to poke around and look at. It focuses on that keyword, exceptional, with, you know, whether it's regard to service or dining. They're really driving home the point that, you know, this is um, not your ordinary everyday cruise experience. This is a a luxury, high-end cruise. Um, because they they actually when they when they did the renovations they actually expanded some of the accommodations and this is rather unusual usually when we see ships undergoing renovations they add more staterooms you know they they boost up the number of staterooms they have on board in this case they expanded the staterooms but actually reduced the number so on Crystal Serenity they went from 980 staterooms to 740 and on Crystal Symphony they're going 
going from a capacity of, I'm sorry, that's capacity, not number of staterooms. And on the Crystal Symphony, they're going from 848 to 606. So, you know, that is, that's sort of the sign of a luxury cruise line is that they are actually dedicating more space to the staterooms as opposed to putting more staterooms and trying to cram more people on board. Absolutely. Staff writer Richard Sims, talk to you next week. Thank you. Well, you're very welcome. But before we go, we actually have some other people that we need to thank right here. Yes, yes. The Cruise Radio new Patreons for the week. Uh, Sarah, Keisha, I'm probably going to mispronounce your name, but it's Eminar, I believe. Cruising for One, Sue, and BV all joined Cruise Radio Extra over the past week. And if you would like to join, it's Cruise. And if you would like to join, it's Patreon.com slash Cruise Radio. And what is the extra that they've got on tap this week? This week we did is a sit down with Captain Kate and I on Celebrity Edge um, during the restart. It was actually her bug and myself, the her cat there. So, cat, oh, you uh, got to meet Bug. That's so cool. And the next week is the unedited interview with Christine Duffy. We did uh, as Carnival's president on board Celebration a couple of weeks ago. Oh, I love that. And I believe there's actually an interview with someone else up there for the Patreon folks. Oh, yeah, with me. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Who doesn't want to know more about our host? Uh, it's, a, it's a fun little interview. Yeah, it was fun. Staff writer Richard Sims, as always, thank you, my friend. Glad to be here. Do you have a story or a tip to report? Let us know. Email tips at cruiseradio.net. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not, not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. Just back from a cruise? Let's talk about it. Email Doug at CruiseRadio.net. Kristen and Scott just returned from a seven-night sailing on MSC Seascape. It was a Western Caribbean voyage out of Port Miami. And Kristen joins us on the line. Howdy, Kristen. Hello, Doug. So you're over in the St. Louis area and you had to get down to Miami to catch the ship. Give me some pre-cruise thoughts on this cruise. And did it have the brand new ship smell? It did have the new ship smell. Well, actually, MSC has its own scent, it seems like. So Mm. you always know you're on an MSC ship because it's that that certain uh, fragrance that they have. This was our third MSC cruise, and uh, we'd previously sailed on Seaside and Meravilia. So that means we've tried one each of the Seaside class and the Meravilia class. We wanted to kind of go back to the Seaside class for our third cruise, and Seascape, being the the newest ship in the in the in the fleet, offered a very nice uh, Western Caribbean itinerary that we liked and worked well for a winter getaway. So that's why we booked this cruise. I want to ask you, because I know you sailed MSC a few years back because we did a review and you did a status match, if I recall. Now, with the status match, if you're 
executive platinum with American, you'll get the highest tier on MSC or whatever. How long does that carry on after that cruise? So we did the status match or the loyalty match prior to our first MSC cruise, which was on Seaside in 2018. At that time, we were uh, platinum level, so the second highest level with Princess, and that was pretty much our highest uh, loyalty level across any cruise, hotel, or or airline. Uh, so that's the one that we used for the match. That matched us into the gold level, which was the second highest level for MSC. Once you match, then you need to keep sailing at least once every three years in order to maintain your loyalty status. So basically, they match you in at the lowest level, the lowest point level for that particular loyalty level. So I think that was like 4,300 points for gold. And then you earn points from then on based on the type of uh, cruise uh, cabin experience you book. Uh, You get points for if you book things pre-cruise, like excursions, dining packages, that sort of thing. And you also get points for um, onboard spending as well. They do it a little bit differently than, than some of the other cruise lines. But anyway, so yeah, so basically, in order to maintain our loyalty status with them, you have to say at least once every three years. So we did, we did, like I said, our first one was Seaside in December of 2018. Then we sailed Maravilla in October, November of 2021. And then Seascape here now in January. I know y'all normally fly into Lauderdale. Did y'all fly into Miami this time or did y'all do Lauderdale and Uber down? Uh, we actually did fly into Lauderdale and and took a lift down. It just it just so happened that the flight schedule for uh, a direct flight from St. Louis was better to fly into Fort Lauderdale. Uh, on the return trip, it was just the opposite. The flight schedules were actually better to fly back straight out of Miami as opposed to Fort Lauderdale. So you make your way to the cruise terminal to embark MSC Seascape. How was the embarkation process? The embarkation process was very good once we got there. There were seven ships ships in port the day that we left Miami. And I think a lot of people know that the port of Miami has got a lot of construction going on. And so it took us almost an hour to get from our downtown hotel into Terminal C for for embarkation. So the traffic was absolutely horrendous. So that was just awful. (laughs) But once we got to Terminal C for embarkation, things went went very smooth. We had a 12 to 12.30 embarkation group, um, and we got there basically right at the very end of that that time slot, and we were checked in um, and on board the ship uh, in about 15 minutes. So you make your way on board, and you've done the Seaside. This is part of the Seaside class, but the MSC Seascape is Seaside Evo class. So any big differences that you could tell on your first impressions? First impressions, no. I mean, it was it, it felt very, very, very similar to our experience. You know, coming into coming into the atrium area with the uh, with the beautiful Swarovski crystal staircases and lots of shiny, gleaming, you know, chrome and glass all in the atrium, and so that. That was that was pretty that was pretty similar, um, and and it, in general I think the the ship layout was was fairly similar as well to to the to seaside. Um, there were a couple differences, you know, a few different a few different venues and a few tweaks they made, and for the most part I think it was all for the better. And we can talk about some of those for sure. Yeah, definitely. So you make your way to your stateroom. What kind of stateroom did you book for the seven night cruise, and what did you think of it throughout the week? So we booked uh, what's called a deluxe balcony Aurea experience. So we really like the the Aurea experience. And and for listeners who, who may not be as familiar, 
um, MSC does things a little bit differently, and you have to pick a basically a, a class of cabin, an experience, what they call an experience. So you can go all the way from the bare bones, basically just the cruise fare with no frills, and I think that's called the Bella. I think that's their base one. And then you can add on like a, like some drink tickets, I think, and maybe a couple other perks, and that's like the fantastical level, I believe. The ultimate level, of course, at the far end would be the Yacht Club, their ship within a ship experience, and we did that actually on our on our last cruise, Maravilla. The last one that's just before Yacht Club is what they call Oria. And we really like the Oria uh, experience for a few different reasons. Um, one, the, the cabins the cabins that you get when you book Oria are what they consider a, a more premium cabin, meaning the features in the cabin, the locations, you know, what decks you're on, where, where on the decks you're, you might be located. Um, is a is a more desirable, at least from their perspective, more desirable uh, cabin location. It's also the class of cabin that you have to book if you want to do anytime dining. If you don't book Aria, then you have to then be in one of the fixed seating, either early or late dining. So if you're the type of person that likes anytime dining, and we do, you have to book the Aria experience in order to get anytime dining. But there's some other perks that you get when you book Aurea. Uh, for instance, you get access to their thermal suite um, for the entire length of the cruise, which is wonderful because we love the thermal suites. There's a couple other. You get a complimentary bottle of champagne and a bar of chocolate and some other perks like robes and slippers and things like that. But, uh, but definitely, you know, the anytime dining experience, the thermal suite access. On deck 19, there's a dedicated sun deck Mm-hmm. Uh, with its own private bar, and that's for the exclusive use of uh, of Aurea, uh cabins as well. So let's talk about the food then, and we'll start at the buffet area. What were your thoughts up there, and do they still have the pizza area in the buffet? So this is one of the changes that we saw between uh, Seaside and Seascape. Seaside had actually two buffets. There was the main buffet on on one deck, and then there was kind of a little smaller buffet on on the other deck. They did away with that with this, and it's all. There's only one buffet now. Um, it's on deck 16 on Seascape, um, and so it's it's a lot larger. And it we did notice uh, that there was a better variety of food items on this buffet than what we had seen actually with either Seaside or Maravilla. We saw a little bit more of rotation of dishes, especially at lunchtime. Before, we would see basically kind of the same items and they were there pretty much every day and we didn't see a lot of uh, turnover in variety. We saw more of that on this cruise, which was good because that was kind of one of our main complaints from a dining perspective with MSC is the buffet wasn't, you know, really up to up to par. Now, the issue still with this class of ship is that basically for lunch, your only two options are either eat in the dining room, if it's a day where the dining room is actually open for lunch, because that wasn't necessarily the case every day, or you eat in the buffet. There are no other complimentary alternative dining venues available. So like most ships, you often see on like, for instance, on the on the Lido deck or the pool deck, you might see that's where the pizzeria is or that's where the grill is. So you can get burgers and hot dogs and fries, that sort of thing. Or like a blue iguana cantina, for example, you know, with tacos for for Carnival. None of that exists, at least on this class of ship on MSC. The only available dining for free at lunchtime besides the dining room would be in the buffet. All of that kind of food is there. So the pizzeria pizza's there you know, your, your grill type foods, as well as all of your other kinds of, 
um, options um, for food. So what that meant, though, is that the buffet would get very, very congested at both breakfast and at, and at lunch. Less so at dinner. We did eat. We didn't eat in the buffet. I think one night, and definitely noticed it was a lot less crowded. But certainly at breakfast and lunch, very, very crowded. But at least, like I said, we definitely noted that the food, the food variety was was much improved from what we had seen previously, and that was good. So you mentioned you had any time dining. Now, I remember on Seashore, there was like three or four main dining rooms. So which one were you in and how was the food throughout your voyage? What was nice about, I mean, absolutely loved it actually on this ship that Seaside didn't have is Anytime Dining actually had its own dedicated dining room for dinner only, not not breakfast and lunch, but for dinner. So the dining room that we ate in was called the Skyline Restaurant. That was a fantastic, I love it. It was a fantastic experience to have your own dedicated dining room for Anytime Dining. We could walk down there. Didn't matter what time we, we showed up. Uh, the dining hours were from 6 to 9.30. A couple nights we were there on the very early side. A couple nights we were on the mid to, mid to later side. We could walk right in. No reservation. Always get a table. Immediately get seated. Drink service was super prompt. Our orders were taken super prompt. Courses would be delivered very, very um very on much on time. It was a fantastic service experience to have our own dedicated dining room for anytime dining. And the food was excellent. We were very happy with, we had four meals in the dining room, very happy with the food choices and the food quality that we had in the dining room. It was, it was a fantastic experience. Loved it. Loved it. You mentioned you did four nights in the main dining room. So what other venues did you hit throughout your week sailing? The very first night, they were offering a 20% discount at the Kaido Sushi Bar if you if you came and dined on the very on embarkation night, and that was one of the venues that we were interested in trying. So uh, so we took advantage of that. Uh, we basically pretty much had the place almost to ourselves. Um, I don't think you know on embarkation day people have found their way around the ship necessarily um, and uh, whatnot. So I think that's partly why they offer the. 20% discount and, <laughs> and to entice more customers. But at least when we went, yeah, it was it was uh, very quiet. And with this ship, they have the sushi bar is set up on a little, the uh, the conveyor belt experience. So I don't know if you've ever seen that in a sushi place where mm-hmm. they have the dishes on a on a conveyor belt system and you just, they, they come along and you look and you decide, oh, and they, I want this. And they had a, they had the menu um, color coded. So they told you, you know, the different, the different categories. And if it was yellow, it was this price. And if it was blue, it was this price. And if it was green, it was this price. Um, and of course it would be 20% off, uh, whatever that was. And so, yeah, so we had, um, <clears throat> we had, uh, uh, a few, a f- couple different rolls. Uh, we had some, uh, futamaki, some ramaki, nigiri, uh, some fried rice. It was, it was a delicious meal and, uh, had very nice, very nice service. Like I said, it was very quiet <laughs> when we were there. So yeah, that was our, that was our first night. And then the other, uh, specialty dining that we did was the uh, Ola Tacos and Cantina. Now, this is a venue that has has been on other ships as well, um, and we actually dined at the Ola on Maravilla um, and had a very nice, very nice experience. And so we decided we wanted to to do that again. We did the same thing. They they have individual items on the menu, and you can choose to do you know individual priced items. You know, uh, small three dollars for this or four dollars for this, whatever, or there you have an all-you-can-eat option for $17.99 per person. 
And that's what we opted to do, which is what we had done before. So we tried um, a couple things, a couple things the same, but then we intentionally tried different items from what we had before. And we enjoyed the food very much, um, very much. The only thing I would say is that <clears throat> the location of Ola on this ship is right off the it's an open it's an open venue and it opens uh out to the atrium area mm -hmm. and the seascape bar is only one or two decks below so that meant it got very loud if they were doing you know dj sets there at the seascape bar and the atrium area playing music oh my gosh you, it, you you'd be difficult to have a conversation <laughs> whereas in maravilla with a completely different ship layout there Ola was actually its own enclosed restaurant off the off the main Galleria area. From a venue perspective, definitely liked Meraviglia's Ola better. But food was equally equally as good um, on on both ships. Did you wind up doing three specialty restaurants? Well, the one night um, we just did we just did a light. Uh, we we actually went to the sports bar and had a or couple order of buffalo wings, which were very tasty. Um, and then we had a very light dinner in the marketplace buffet. That was the night that we were in Can uh, in uh, Cozumel, and we did that because our excursion, which I'll talk about, we did a big food tour that day. Mm -hmm. So we <laughs> we were quite full. So we wanted to eat very light. So how does a dining plan actually work with MSC? Like you have the dining plan, whether you got it as part of booking your cruise or you paid for it before your cruise. Are you still on the hook for gratuity and all of that once you board or any price gaps in the menu? They do have various specialty dining packages that you can pick from, um, which you get to then choose from certain places, maybe the steakhouse, uh, the seafood restaurant, the teppanyaki, etc. I had tried to actually book what they called the trilogy package, which would have allowed us to dine at the steakhouse, uh, the seafood place, and then I think it was going to be the sushi bar. I can't remember now. But when I called, I wasn't able to ever to get it to book online. Sometimes working with embassies, it's a little quirky mm -hmm. and it wasn't working very well for me. So I, tr I called in to see about booking the specialty dining package. Well, as part of that, they were trying then to look up reservations nights to decide okay so you know which which nights were you interested in and every night that i was had a potential interest in for one of those venues they told me there weren't any reservations available so we actually didn't have a specialty dining package booked in advance for the cruise oh. so instead what we decided to do was we knew you know that there were possibly these kind of specials like i described like 20 percent off you know the first night you know at, at the sushi bar etc we just decided well we're just going to kind of wing it so when we got on board we checked and we saw that there was reservations available you know for kaido for that first night mm -hmm. so we did that and then we looked up to see you know some of the others and we weren't able to get reservations for some of the other couple other places that maybe we would have tried but ola was available uh, on on the night that we were interested in and so we just did that okay very cool. So let's talk about the entertainment on board this seven night cruise. And I guess MSC doesn't have the partnership with Cirque anymore, do they? No, they do not. So they got rid of that, I guess, either right before or dirt. It was as a, a casualty of the pandemic. I can't actually remember. But yeah. So what happened then is that with this ship, 
that venue space that you had seen on previous ships became an all different, an all new venue space designed for this ship. And, and on mm-hmm. this ship, it's called Le Cabaret Rouge. So that is one of the entertainment things that uh, we did try that one night. So they had somebody who served as sort of like the MC for the night. His name is uh, Samulus. If you are an America's Got Talent viewer, you may recognize that name. Apparently, he got the, so far, I guess on that ship, I don't, I don't think he got into the final rounds, but he might be familiar too. Anyway, he was our MC, he was our onboard MC slash singer, and then there were other entertainers that would perform uh, throughout the evening in kind of little short sets. So the night that we went, we saw her name is Alenka Cello. Uh, she's a Ukrainian electric cellist. So if you're familiar, kind of like with Lindsey Sterling, that kind of thing. So yeah, so we did that one night. I think they had different little entertainers different nights. Uh, we only went to the Le Cabaret Rouge one night, but, um, but yeah, it was a nice, it was a nice venue. Um, it's a great venue during the daytime because it's got really comfy furniture. They open the windows. It's, it's in the back of the ship. So you have a full panorama view uh, windows in the, in the aft of the ship. So it's a really nice, quiet place to go for reading uh, during the day. <laughs> but in terms of entertainment, so we went to see three of the production shows. And what you have to understand, because MSC's clientele skews more international, even with their ships that are home ported uh, in the United States, there's still a higher percentage of international guests on board than with other cruise lines. What that means then is that their entertainment tends to skew more towards music, visuals, less focus on plot <laughs> language <laughs> so it means that some of their shows are uh, a little quirky so so you know um but they're very short they're only like 30 minutes and they have you know they had some you know very beautiful costumes they do have a nice lcd screen not as gorgeous as celebrities on their new edge class but they still had a, a nice lcd you know panel uh in the back for visuals we did three of those shows yeah, so that that was nice. Um, like I said, not not to the quality that you've seen with other with other uh, production shows. Again, like I said, I think that's that's related to the the clientele that we have on board. There wasn't a dedicated piano lounge like uh, like we've enjoyed on Princess with say Crooner's Lounge. Mm-hmm. Here they had what they called dueling pianos, and they were in not the main atrium, but kind of a smaller little atrium that they have. I think that's it was called Liberty Square on this ship because this is kind of have a has a little bit of a New York kind of. Statue of Liberty and some other kind of decor in that area. And so they had two, two, two pianists then, dueling pianos, and they would do performances in that kind of a space. So it's not as cozy as what, uh, what you would have if you had a dedicated piano lounge, which we like. But we did go watch one of those performances, and, and that, was, that was entertaining. Okay. Now, let's talk about the sea days as far as crowds and congestion and any idea how full or how not full the ship was. I don't have any way to confirm this, but somebody had posted on Cruise Critic that they had they were told or they had been told that our cruise had about 4,700 passengers. So, okay, so pretty full. So not not completely full, but but fairly full. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so for sea days, so we had... Reviewing my itinerary again, because we had some changes in our itinerary, which we can also talk about. So our first sea day, 
we enjoyed, uh, again, w- taking advantage of that Aurea benefit of the top 19 sun deck mm-hmm. being a dedicated area. We did spend some time up there in the afternoon, and that was great because we were able to easily get a get a lounge chair there. Um, and there's two uh, there's uh, two hot tubs that are part of that. So there's not a pool that's dedicated in that area, but there are two hot tubs. And then, like I said, the dedicated bar. So that was nice. We tended to take advantage of that also spent more the morning in the thermal suite. So in terms of how how crowded was the main pool area, we didn't really go back there. I'll, uh, I think we walked through there one time because uh, we were going to get to the uh, gelato bar at the back of the ship. And uh, it, it seemed pretty, pretty full. <laughs> so, <laughs> But there's also the other area that we did spend some time in too is what they call the jungle pool. So that would be their, I say indoor solarium, but the roof is able to be opened. Now the first sea day, I don't think it was open, but our second sea day, it was warm enough, definitely warm enough. They had the roof wide open indoor slash outdoor, depending on the weather pool area. That one, again, that one was, was very popular as well. And a little challenging to find a a lounge space there. Yeah. Gotcha. Interesting. So how about the Robotron? Did you jump on that thing? (laughs) <laughs> oh heck no. <laughs> so yeah, that was of course that's one of the that's one of the new features on this on this particular ship that they added and I'm not a roller coaster type person and Scott really isn't either these days and definitely the the whole idea of being, you know, tossed around or <laughs> on that thing upside down and twirling around, yeah. Mm, no thanks. <laughs> You know, isn't that funny? You said Scott's not a roller coaster fan anymore these days. And I looked at that thing and I was like, you know what? There's no way in hell I'll jump on that thing right now. And 10 years ago, I would have done it in a heartbeat. Uh Uh-huh. Right. Funny how that happens. Right. Yeah. uh, yeah. (laughs) As as we get a little older. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about the ports of call. Actually, you know what? Um, The casino. It's uh, Now, the casino is kind of on this ship, it's one level, but it's right there by that Liberty Square area, right where the chocolate yeah, place it is. is. So it's it's open to all of that, right? Uh, we didn't we didn't really. I mean, we walked through the casino a couple mm-hmm. times, but we didn't actually spend any time in it. At first, we weren't sure that if they even allowed smoking, because I think the first time we went through that, we didn't notice anything. Mm-hmm. But then another time later in the cruise, when we walked through, we definitely did see that they they did allow smoking at least in in maybe in some certain sections of the casino because it, it just wasn't every everywhere but yeah gotcha yeah mm-hmm. so let's talk about the port of calls on this seven night cruise and you mentioned that you had a little bit of an itinerary change right so we left Miami and then the very next day we had a full day and evening at Ocean K, which is MSC's private island. And that was that was fantastic. And that was definitely one of the reasons why we liked this particular itinerary, uh, because it was going to have a full day and an evening at Ocean K. So before on Maravilla, we'd had two stops at the island, but neither of which stayed late enough to enjoy the lighthouse show. And that was a really that was one of the kind of, you know, one of the things we really wanted to see. So this cruise, uh, we had, we arrived at, uh, we got in at 7 a.m. and we didn't leave. We were supposed to be in port, I think, until 10 originally. Got changed to nine. So we did a couple things. We signed up for the excursion to do the climb up the lighthouse. So if you purchase in advance, it's nine dollars. And we met at the lighthouse bar uh, about quarter to 11. And there was a group of 10 of us. And then there was a guide. You go up, it's, uh, it's 165 steps total. 
However, there's two places where you actually stop and there's a platform area that you can you can uh, stop at and have views out the windows or not the windows, but the lighthouse um, to take pictures and have a rest break. So it's 165 steps, but it's not it's not really that super strenuous. And the guide as we went along, you know, gave us some background information about the development of the island and things like that. So that was really cool because you'd obviously get the best views on the island when you get especially when you get all the way to the top. So yeah. so that was a fun little thing to do. And then we went hung out. So there have different beach areas on the island. And for this for this visit, we decided to hang out at the South Beach area uh, for the afternoon. Now, this was the Monday after that really cold weekend in Florida and like it was like the coldest temperature I think Miami had had for the entire winter thus far Uh yeah so when we got to Ocean K it was barely 70 degrees and so yeah that water was uh, a little too chilly for us even (laughs) but it was still fun to have a nice afternoon it was sunny and blue skies so it was it was fine for relaxing on the beach we just didn't really do much in the water (laughs) that particular day right and then we got to see i think part of the lighthouse show so like i said they were supposed to be they put in their their itinerary there was going to be two shows one at 7 30 and one at 8 30 and we got back to our cabin after dinner about eight o'clock anticipating being ready to watch the 8:30 show well i think they'd already kind of decided they're only going to do one show because we were going to leave at nine so that got a little that got a little screwed but i did get to see some of it at least um whereas before i'd not not gotten to see anything of the lighthouse light you know laser and lcd lights and so a partial win <laughs> how was that show it was pretty cool you know to see uh they had a beach party going on too. So they had a DJ and music and I think they had the the lighthouse, you know, lights and lasers and things kind of in sync with the music that they were doing. So that was that was fun. Something you don't see every day. <laughs> cool. And what was your next port of call? So then our next port of call after we had a sea day was Cozumel. And uh, so we did a private excursion in Cozumel. We did uh, the Cozumel food tour, which is offered by an uh, organization called Cozumel Chef. And there was one other couple who was from one of the other ships that was in port with us that day, New Amsterdam. They had also signed up through Cosmo Chef for this tour. And we had a tour guide named Aaron. And then we had a dedicated van with a uh, dedicated driver to take us around to the various stops on this food tour. And similar to the food tour that we did in Puerto Vallarta, you definitely get out of the main tourist areas and into areas where the locals live and eat and shop. And so we had five different stops where we had cochinita pibil taco, we had breaded or grilled shrimp tacos, we had uh, sopa de lima, which is a traditional Yucatecan soup, we had a full fried snapper, grouper ceviche, and then we went to a bakery and had a pastry of choice. And then we had beverages at each stop, we could choose from various agua fresca flavors, horchata, beer, or, or soda. And um, so we had those five stops for eating. And then our tour guide also took us to the El Mercado, which is where the locals will buy their fresh meat and fish and produce and chilies and spices. So it was a great tour. Um, She was a very, very knowledgeable tour guide. Everything that we had was was very delicious. And it's a super convenient tour, especially if your ship is docked in the town. So there's, as you know, there's different piers, right, available in Cozumel. Mm-hmm. So MSC, and I believe Norwegian, 
dock at what's called, it's called Punta Langosta. Mm -hmm. And that is the pier that's right there in the town. So for this food tour, you meet at the mega shopping grocery center. And literally, it's like a five to seven minute walk once you get off the ship in Punta Langosta to walk to Mega. Whereas the couple that was on New Amsterdam, they were docked down at piers that are further away. Maybe they had to take, I think, maybe a 10 minute taxi ride. So it's not not doable if you come in at those other piers, you know, but if you happen to have be on a ship like the MSC that docks right there at the pier that's in town, very convenient, easy to easy to get to for, you know, the meeting point for the tour. So it was a great food tour. Definitely very filling. That's why that night we had a very <laughs> we had a very light dinner. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that that's there's three three cruise piers. We're trying to build a fourth one in Cozumel and <laughs> So, mm-hmm. yeah, where you are, and then there's the International Cruise Pier, like where Royal and Spillover Ships, like Carnival, goes to. And right. then um, Carnival's Pier next door uh, at mm-hmm. Puerto Maya. So there's, right. Yeah, there's, there's three cruise piers, and depending on how many ships are in port, kind of you'll occasionally see one down on your end, or you'll see one of y'all ships down on this end. You know, it's kind of uh, depends on the port traffic, but very cool. So it's not like you had a, a good day in Cozumel. What was up we next? Did. Grand Cayman. And this was, again, another key item for us from booking this cruise for the itinerary, because we had not been back to Grand Cayman since our very first cruise in 2001. So this was this was high on our on our to do list. So we're supposed to arrive in Grand Cayman at 10 a.m. We're supposed to be there from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Well, we wake up and we look and we're like, hmm. We don't see any kind of land whatsoever <laughs> anywhere in sight yet. We should be getting somewhat close. So looking up on the maps, looking up and going, there's no way we're going to be in port by 10 a.m. We're way farther away from Grand Cayman than we should be. So then we get an announcement over the PA system from our cruise director, Gene, that overnight we had experienced a software technical issue that was impacting one of the engine's speed. And so they were having to sail at reduced speed. Like we were only going like 15 knots and we should have been going like 20, 21. And so I said, so we're still, we're still intending to have the port call, but we're not going to be arriving until probably about 2.30 in the afternoon is what they'd announced. And then they would extend the, the call until about, say, 7 o'clock. So we were only going to do our uh, just get off on our own. Uh, we had a, a, a walking tour that we were going to do on our own through the Explore Cayman app and maybe grab some lunch. Um, so we didn't have, you know, real real firm plans for, for Grand Cayman that would have been, you know, negatively impacted by the changes in the time. So we had a kind of a leisurely morning and then uh, we did in fact arrive shortly after two 30 and they started tender service at, uh, at three o'clock and we were on the very first priority tender because as a, we, um, because of the loyalty level that we have, um, gold loyalty level, one of the perks of gold loyalty level is you get priority tendering. I may have mentioned that that was associated with Aurea. That's not correct. That used to be true, but it's strictly related to the loyalty level. Gotcha. So we were on the very first tender that we could. 
And we enjoyed, you know, we enjoyed our, our brief time in Georgetown. We did the walking tour. We spent about an hour at their national museum. And so that was interesting. But because we were there late afternoon, you know, we, uh, we, we skipped the opportunity to have, uh, to have uh, a meal on, on shore. And we just, uh, you know, re returned back onto the ship. We didn't leave about eight o'clock or so. And so we knew then, we're like, okay, well, what does this mean for the rest of the itinerary? Because then the next day we were supposed to be in Ocho Rios, followed by a sea day, followed by the return to Miami for the end of the cruise. So we were pretty confident that we were going to be missing Ocho Rios. And the question was going to be, you know, what are we just going to have two sea days and we're just going to, you know, leisurely cruise our way back to Miami <laughs> if they couldn't figure out the problem. <laughs> So while we were having dinner that night, the captain and the cruise director came back on to announce what was going to happen for the rest of the cruise. So as we expected, despite the fact they had apparently had flown in some special technical staff uh, while they were in while we were in Grand Cayman, they were unable to resolve the issue. And so they decided, yep, we're going to cancel our call at Ocho Rios, which, again, wasn't a big deal for us. We were planning to stay on board the ship that day anyway. But then they announced that instead of a, so we're going to have a sea day, obviously, in a place of Ocherios. And then on the last day of the cruise, we would go back to Ocean K for a bonus afternoon stop. So we were like, oh, that's cool, because we love going back to Ocean K. No problem with that. And then on top of all of that, then they announced they were giving us a 50% refund of our entire cruise fare. Wow. And our jaws dropped yeah. <laughs> when we heard that, because... We would expect, okay, refund the port taxes if there are any for Ocho Rios, maybe a $25 or $50, you know, token onboard credit for the disruption to the itinerary. That's mm -hmm. kind of a common kind of thing that you tend to see happen, right, when, when you have this kind of an itinerary change. But a 50% refund of the entire cruise fare was definitely something that we were not expecting. Yeah, that's awesome. Good uh, good on them, though. I think other cruise other cruise lines could learn from that because you're not really seeing a lot of that when you have your occasional not being able to make maximum cruising speed announcement from the navigational deck. Right, right, exactly. And 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 what we what we yeah, and we have no inside information of course, we, uh, but we just kind of our our theory is that this is a brand new ship, right? It was just mm -hmm. just christened and launched in December. For it to have an engine problem, yeah. <laughs> you know, so soon on a brand new ship, kind of, I, th I think, was probably like, okay, we, you know, it doesn't look good. And, and we want to make sure that people don't get the, you know, the wrong impression, you know, of our, of our product and, and whatnot. And, and so I think it was, I think, I, I think that must be part, at least part of what played into that decision. So, yeah. So, so that was the announcement then. So therefore we had, like I said, another sea day on the day that we were supposed to be in Ocho Rios. And then the last day of the cruise, we had an afternoon call back to Ocean K. So we were in Ocean K from 2 until about 8 p.m. Air temperatures had warmed up <laughs> from our previous earlier in the week. Remember I told you it was like only yeah, 70 six, degrees? Yeah. It was, yeah. Well, the, the weather got better uh, throughout the week down there. And so the air and the water temperatures were much warmer than they were when we had been there on Monday. So we did get to enjoy some some time in the ocean. Uh, this time we, we uh, camped out at, on the Lighthouse Beach area. 
and had a very lovely, relaxing afternoon. They didn't do the light show because we were getting there late. Normally, of course, you know, there would be the food venues open, right, for lunch on a normal on a normal call mm-hmm. at Ocean K. But of course, we didn't get there until two o'clock. So none of the, you know, the food court wasn't open. None of the food trucks were open. Cause, but it was interesting. And we were very surprised as we, because we hung out, we stayed at the beach probably I think we probably stayed until about maybe six o'clock, six thirty. Mm-hmm. And as we were heading back to get on the ship, they had set up a whole elaborate dessert buffet right in the area, right there when you get off, um, when you get off on the island, right at the kind of the, the entrance area. Um, so that was kind of a surprise because we weren't expecting anything, right? Because they had all the food venues closed. So there were like, you know, fruit skewers and churros with dipping sauce and other little, you know, other uh, cupcakes and all kinds of little, little goodies. So that was kind of a, that was an unexpected treat that they, uh, that they did that. A very lovely afternoon, unexpected to get a second a second bonus visit to Ocean K, but you know it's it is a, it is definitely at the top tier of cruise lines private islands. I mean, number one in my opinion is still Half Moon K, and that's because of the sand. Sand is so powdery soft; it's it's to die for. Yeah. Uh, but I would say probably number two is MSC's Island. The sand quality is very good, very good. It's got a lot of different beach options, nice food venues. Uh, it has a pier, so you don't have to tender into that island. That's another big bonus. Um, they've really done an outstanding job in developing that private island, and it's it's a uh, it's it's great. Love it. You make your way back to Port Miami to debark. How was that process with 4,000 people? Well, we were in no hurry to get off the ship because we didn't have a flight out of Miami until um, mid-afternoon. We had swapped out to be in the very last group to get off the ship. So we basically hung out again. We hung out at, in Le Cabaret Rouge again. Like I said, it's a very comfortable lounge. They finally called all remaining groups to disembark at about 10 a.m. That's when we walked off. Didn't take any time at all, of course, to find our luggage because most everybody else had already left the ship. They have the facial recognition scanner. So we were through, you know, customs by about uh, 1030. Not bad at all. So you said you flew into Lauderdale and going out of Miami. So like getting to the airport from the cruise port, did you like Uber or Lyft again? We were going to potentially do Lyft, but then um, right outside the terminal, they had a uh, bus service that they were that they were hawking for twenty two dollars for two people. Oh, so we're like, wow, well, okay, that's a pretty good deal. We decided we would do that. We didn't actually get on board a bus until it took us about thirty minutes as we were waiting for the right bus to arrive. There was there was some chaos and some confusion with people that apparently had booked excursions before going to an air, you know, to the airport and they were trying to get on the bus and we thought they were cutting ahead of us. It was kind of a chaotic scene a little bit and it was nice and sunny and warm. And uh, <laughs> so we were like, Ooh, it's a little, little toasty out here waiting. So yeah, it took us about 30 minutes before we finally got the right bus and we got on board. Um, once we got on the bus, you know, there was no, there was no issue. Um, uh, in terms of getting out of, unlike coming in to the port, there was no traffic or congestion problems getting out of the uh, the port area. The other problem with the buses we deter, as we learned, because we were flying southwest, basically non. I think I think there's one terminal that's exclusively American, and then basically everybody else I think is in in the other. Yeah. So the bus dropped off at the far end of the south terminal, and southwest is in the central terminal, and that's a pretty long walk with luggage from where the bus 
bus drops off. So, you know, all things considered, even though it would have been uh, more expensive, I think probably next time we'd stick with doing Lyft or Uber back to the airport. <laughs> Looking back on this seven night sailing, sounds like it was a pretty nice one, even though you, uh, despite the little technical issue, you got some, a uh, little bit of cash back and two days at Ocean Key. So that's not bad. Uh, any first, uh, first time tips you'd offer someone sailing Seascape? Well, we talked about a few of the things like in terms of when you book your cabin, you have to pick your experience. And, and so that, that's a little bit different if you're, if you're not used to that. Um, um, I would also say, um, pay attention to how your booking perks work. So for instance, with this cruise, we had um, a browse two devices for the Wi-Fi. But as we found out once we got onto the cruise and we didn't, we didn't, I mean, it was, if we had very scrutinized, closely read our booking information, we would have maybe picked up on this. But that browse two devices perk was attached to me. And Scott didn't have the similar, the same, Wi-Fi package listed on him for mm-hmm. a perk. What that meant then was, is that if I wanted to use my two devices, cause I bring an iPad and I have an iPhone. If I would have done that, then he would have had no internet whatsoever because he didn't have that perk. It was two devices tied to me. So unless I gave him, gave up one of mine so that he could log on with his device. So it's a little bit different, right? And, and it's kind of the same kind of thing with regard to onboard credit. So onboard credit, so we had $100. That was another booking perk, but $100 onboard credit. Again, though, that was tied to me, not our cabin. And that's nor- and so if you wanted the onboard credit to pa- apply against the total for the cabin and be able to see all the charges for the cabin, you had to have the other person added to your account. So it's just some... Like I said, some quirkiness of how MSC does things that are a little bit different than how other cruise lines work. So um, just something to to, to be aware of. Um, another difference that is a, important to note, we had for beverage packages, we had what was called the Easy Plus package, which is a $9 drink limit. On most other cruise lines, if you wanted to order a drink that was above that $9 limit, you can. You're just going to pay the difference. Not so an MSC. You pay the full price. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so, so again, another little difference as to how they operate. So it's just good to do, you know, good to do your research, good to do your homework and know some of these little nuances, I guess, going into sailing with them. Again, although, I mean, we like sailing with them. It, they're not going to be our, our number one favorite cruise line. We like sailing them every, you know, two to three years. They've got some exciting product when it comes to, you know, new ship builds. They're they're on the forefront, man, of, you know, the industry in terms of new builds. They're coming out with new ships left and right all the time. So um, we've had very good experiences from a food perspective, from a service perspective. I know you'll see that people are not so favorable. Um, that's not been our experience. We've had very enjoyable, nice cruises with them. Um, so we like to kind of, you know, mix it up, right. And sail with them, you know, every couple of years or so, but there are definitely some, some, uh, like I said, some quirks some nuances to sailing with them that you just need to, just need to pay attention to. And looking back at this cruise, what was the biggest highlight for you? I would say our our opportunity to to be at Ocean K again, uh, like I said, because it's it's really a, a top tier island, and we've we've enjoyed uh, we've very much enjoyed our our times that we've gotten to visit there. Um, and you know, it's uh, the engine issue aside, brand new, nice, sparkly, uh, beautiful ship. 
uh, and we always enjoy those sorts of experiences. So nice. Final thoughts of MSC Seascape. We enjoyed it very much. We had good food, good service. We had some very, uh, very pleasant port times. And we look forward to sailing uh, MSC again, which will, our plans are to sail the new World America ship when the itinerary is open for that. So we'll try another new class of ship at that point with MSC, their world class, and see how we look, what we think of that. Been talking with Kristen about her seven-night Western Caribbean cruise on MSC Seascape. Kristen, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this review. Oh, you're welcome. All right, Dougie, let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.